I've gotten better, but I will confess to you that as a kid, I really was probably the least fond of musicals of maybe any human being on the planet. I didn't get them. I didn't understand. what I was very... I read a lot. I was very plot-driven. I wanted the story to unfold. And, and, and when you watch a musical, it's like all of a sudden, why are they stopping to do this? They're going to say, okay, I get it. You're in the rain, and you're singing, and apparently you're also dancing. Why do you have to spend five minutes telling me that? Look, just move along to the next part of the I didn't understand musicals. It wasn't later. I actually got to be in some, and I sort of began to realize, oh, that's actually kind of part of the point. This is a way to express other emotions, and this is a way to carry the story forward in ways that normal narrative can. Okay, I learned that stuff, but it took me a long time to do it. So I told that story because I had a similar experience about what I want to talk about tonight. Fellowship. When I was a kid growing up, maybe you guys felt this way too, all that talking the adults were doing before church and after church and frequently during church, all that, you know, conversation that was that right. I'm seeing it right now, Loretta. Uh, all of that conversing, all of that, how are you, what's going on, all of it. I always thought that was sort of holding up the action, which in my nine, eight, nine-year-old mind was obviously the preacher. You know, the preacher is the action, and why are we, or the Bible study is the action, and why are we holding that up with all of this talking and prayer requesting and all of those things? And it took a while for me to realize that's actually part of the worship, too. What we do for each other is another way in which God reaches into our souls and helps us grow. I'm firmly convinced of that now, but it took me a while to reach that conclusion. If you have your Bibles, you may want to look at Acts 2.42, or you may just want to uh, mark it down for later reference. Acts 2.42, this is after 3,000 people have been baptized. The, the church just explodes into life on the day of Pentecost, and we get this little aftermath statement they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Those four elements sort of made up what was going on in that brand new church. And fellowship is one of the acts of, you know, the church that are there mentioned in Acts 2.42. Uh, what we do when we are interacting with each other is deeper than we know. I really believe that this is one of the ways when you and I are just kind of talking before and after service and when we're interacting outside of the church building, I hope, uh, this is one of the ways the Holy Spirit gets into us and makes each one of us stronger and helps each one of us grow. I want to spend some time maybe over the next few weeks thinking about that. The elders... Uh, have been, uh, and, and uh, in cooperation with the ministers, we've been working on some things that we might do, especially in Sunday night. And so I want to think through what fellowship means and what it is that we are doing and how we help each other over the next few Sunday nights. Uh, I think 
One of the first things, I'm, try, I'm trying to figure out, why would God put us into fellowship situations? Why would he do that? Why doesn't God just sort of have all individual Christians? Why don't you just be a Christian at your house, and you be a Christian at your house, and you be a Christian? Why can't we all just, maybe, I don't know, go to the Internet and click on the communion button and, take, and, and just be alone? Why does God put us into fellowship? And, and I think there are a lot of reasons. I'm going to talk about a few tonight, and we may explore some others uh, later. The first one you may not like. If we're honest, if we're honest, is it always easy to get along with the other people in this church? <laughs> okay, thank you, Hoppy. I appreciate that. No, it's not. Of course it's not. I actually think that's part of God's plan. I told you you wouldn't like this point. I actually think that's part of God's plan. One of the ways that God tries to get our hearts to grow is by putting us in a communion that is not immediately perfect and flawless. We have to learn to get along with each other. We have to learn to put up with each other. And in the process of learning that, I'm developing my soul so that I can actually be more like God. Philippians 2.2 is a verse you may want to note, or if you have time, you can go to it. Philippians 2.2, Paul says this, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, and being one in spirit and purpose. Why would Paul need to write that if it was natural? The fact is, having a group like this and getting along with each other is not natural for human beings in the flesh. In the flesh, you know what's natural? Tribalism. We are all very, very comfortable finding our little group and, 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 uh, you know, feeling comfortable with people that are like us and, and, and kind of looking down on people that aren't like us. Lawrence Fugit's not here, so this is going to fall flat. How many of you, did anybody else besides Lawrence go to Putnam City Schools? Nobody else? Okay, well, that was useless. Uh, well, I can illustrate it with Edmund Schools. How many different uh, parents of Edmund, different Edmund Schools are here? Which school? Which one? Summit Middle School? What about the high schools? I'm, I'm actually... Santa Fe. What is the what's the mascot for Santa Fe? <laughs> the wolves. The wolves. What's Memorial? The Bulldogs. What's the what's North? The Huskies. So, in my job, I actually interview high school students. Some of them come from Edmond, and it's weird to hear the rivalries between these three Edmond high schools. And actually, the, the mean things they say about the others, usually as a joke, but still, they have these little sayings that they say about, because back when dinosaurs ruled the earth, when I was in Edmond High School, there was just the one, the Bulldogs. That was the original. And 
you know, over time we spread up. That's tribalism. Originally there was one Edmond High School, now there are three. And all three have to find kind of reasons not to like the other two. That's tribalism. That's, the, that's kind of the natural fleshly response. I kind of get a bit of security if I can be with my group and I can kind of look down on the other group. Paul is gathering people into his little missionary churches, similar to what we're trying to do still 2,000 years later, and he knows that he has a lot of tribalism to break down. And so he says, look, make my joy complete. Have the same mind as each other. Be like-minded. Because that's not natural. That's something that actually requires the help of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever heard somebody say, oh, that's just so human? I actually think Paul says something very similar to that uh, in 1 Corinthians 3. Go ahead and turn to this one. This one's a little longer. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 3. Now, we know we recently studied Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians, and we know that uh, the Corinthian church uh, was split. They were kind of split over who they thought were the best uh, church leaders or the best preachers. It's kind of like the original denominationalism. There are people who say, well, I'm a Cephas Christian, or I'm a, I'm a Paul Christian, I'm an Apollos Christian, and they were split up over that. Paul actually spends the first three and a half, four chapters uh, talking about why that's so bad. It's tribalism from the world come back into Christianity. He says it's, it's terrible, it's bad. And in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, he says it in a very strong way. So, brothers and sisters, I couldn't speak to you like spiritual people, but rather as fleshly people, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for solid food. Even now, you're still not ready, for you're still fleshly. For as long as there's jealousy and quarreling among you, aren't you not fleshly? Aren't you behaving just like humans? Uh, or like mere humans, some of the translations say. Like mere, just like humans. Uh, that's such an interesting turn of phrase. That's always caught my attention. You're just acting like a human. Why would Paul say that? Why would Paul say that? Because... If you're a Christian, if you've been baptized and you've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, you're not just a human being anymore. That's what Paul believes, and that's actually the truth. Something has changed in you. You are a new creation, Paul will say elsewhere. You're a new creature. You have been given a new life. Jesus will say, you've been born again. You are not a mere human being anymore. And because you're not a mere human being, you've actually got the Holy Spirit's help to do this, which is to get along with your other brothers and sisters. It doesn't make it easy. It's difficult. But the Holy Spirit, I think, puts us in fellowship so that we can grow this part of ourselves, so that we can exercise this muscle of Getting along with each other, finding ways to do that. We find ways to agree. We find ways to resist the urge 
to divide up into little cliques to focus on the negatives. Uh, I really think some of this has to do with how we're going to talk about church when we're outside of church. How are we going to talk about our congregation when we're outside our congregation? I don't mean that we never talk about the negatives, because there are going to be some negatives. But I really want us to consider, and, and you know, I'm not, yeah, I, I really want us to consider that it is important, even when we're away from our group, to, to accentuate the positive over the negative. Uh, Okay, think for a minute. If right now I gave you a free meal at any restaurant in Oklahoma City, where would you go? Where would you pick? Really? Taylor and I have a serious disagreement about the quality of one restaurant in town. Okay, think about the restaurant you'd go to if I would give you a free meal. It's going to be different for... Everybody. All right. You like that restaurant for various reasons. Now imagine that advertisements for that restaurant and for competing restaurants were handled the same way we handle political advertising in this country. We don't do it that way, thank goodness. But imagine that in that Chili's, instead of spending most of its time talking about how great its food is, spend all of its time talking about how horrible Chipotle is and the way they put worms in the food and, you know, the way they scrape it right off the floor when you're not looking. And if all the ads were that way about your favorite restaurant, just imagine. It wouldn't be any truer than it is now. Uh, I hope it's not true at all. But it would change your attitude. It matters what you say about church when you're outside of church. It makes a difference. God has given you people. He didn't give you perfect people. You're not perfect either. But He's given you people. And it matters that you accentuate the positive. It doesn't mean you never talk about the negative. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But, but that, that we talk up the positives that are going on in our body, in our congregation. Second, or, or next, I think God, maybe one of the reasons God puts us into fellowship with each other is so that we can develop our humility muscles. One of the things that the flesh is very prone to is pride. Sometimes pride comes from the an inflated sense of self, sometimes it comes from a very defensive uh, sense of self. I'm trying to protect myself. But for whatever reason, pride can cause all kinds of damage. And God calls us again and again, and Jesus Christ calls us to humility. And I actually think one of the things that the Holy Spirit is accomplishing by having us together in a fellowship, a church, a local church, is having a chance again and again and again to practice humility to practice putting other people's desires ahead of our own, to practice taking a step back, letting other people take the lead. Philippians 2 again, this time verse 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others 
better than yourselves. And my favorite passage from Matthew, Matthew 20, verse 25 and following. Jesus called them all together and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is really contrary to the flesh. It's really contrary to the way of the world. Years ago now, maybe over a decade ago now, I think I've actually shared this here before, there was a memo, a series of memos from management, and my favorite was teamwork. My idea of teamwork is a lot of people doing what I say. It's a lot of bad managers' view of what teamwork (laughs) amounts to. It hasn't worked that way in the church. That isn't the way that we are uh, meant to function. Christianity doesn't present a master-slave relationship. We are all servants of God. We are all servants of Jesus Christ. We are not servants, masters and slaves to each other. And fellowship and mastership don't really go together. Everybody, whatever your position is out there, when you are here, we are fellows. We are comrades. We are in this together. There are leaders in Christianity, but there aren't masters in Christianity. And this is one of the deep teachings, I think. Jesus said, you know what it's like out there in the world. The leaders love for, you know, to kind of be bowed and scraped to. And I don't want that going on in my church. What are leaders like in the church? Elders, the authority they have has been given to them. And they have real authority. And we need to submit to our elders. But the reason they have that authority is because they are the people that you, as a congregation, have seen serving for years and years and years and years. Deacons, why do we do what the deacons say? Well, the deacons will tell you we almost never do. But when we do, do what the deacons say. Why do we do that? It's not because they're the boss of us. They kind of are, but the real reason is because they are people who have proven themselves servants of the church for years and years and years and years. That's how authority is meant to function, I think, in God's kingdom. Authority flows from service. That's that's the way it's built. I have a chance to serve you. If I serve you well, you may raise me up to give me more chances to serve. If you don't, that's okay too. Uh, I don't have to promote myself. I think maybe God puts us in these congregational situations so that we can practice being humble with each other. Finally, I think maybe God puts us in fellowship, in these congregational fellowship situations, so we can practice taking care of each other the way we take care of ourselves. This may be getting to the core of it. Again, Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. 
This time, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. We are meant to take care of each other. We are meant to look out for each other. And even if there are people in this church that you don't like particularly, and there are going to be people you like more and people you like less, we are responsible for each other. Galatians 6. Turn to this one with me, if you would. Galatians chapter 6. Look at uh, verses 1 down through verse 10, really. Galatians 6, verse 1 and following. Brothers, if someone's caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else. For each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who belong to the family of believers. If you have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, if you have been given the Holy Spirit, then you have a responsibility for me. Everybody else that's in this building right now, you have a responsibility to the whole world, but particularly to us. To this group. And it's important, I think, for your own development. It's part of what the Holy Spirit is doing in you that you learn to pull that out of yourself. Paul says some of you are spiritual enough, spiritually mature enough, that, that you know, when you see somebody drifting into sin, you're going to go. And you're going to help bring them back. And all of us are in a, a position to be good to help, to do good to those all around us, and especially those that are in the household of faith. When I was young, much younger than I am now, I remember a phrase of Jesse Jackson's. He said, I am somebody. You guys remember that? I am somebody. Everybody say that with me, would you? I am somebody. No, that was, you need to say it loud. I am somebody. You know... There may come a time when you look around and say, you know, so-and-so's in the hospital. Somebody needs to go visit them. And you know what you should say then? I am somebody. You may look around and say, I haven't seen them for two weeks. Somebody needs to go visit them. And what do you say? I am somebody. You may say, you know, so-and-so, their life is getting off track. They're drifting away from Jesus Christ. Somebody needs to go have a heart-to-heart with them. And what do you say then? I am somebody. Folks, this is it. We're it. 
God has placed us here to take care of each other. You're the one. You're the one. I think actually God is calling you. When you, when you notice, that may actually be the Holy Spirit talking to you. Not to say, well, somebody else needs to, but to say you need to. And I hope you will. I think this is part of fellowship. It makes the church stronger, of course. It's good for the church. It's good for the congregation. But let me tell you something. It's good for you. This is part of how the Holy Spirit works in you to make you the person that God already sees you becoming. We're going to talk some more about fellowship in the later lessons, but right now I just want to offer this invitation. God is good. God has made a path. He has made a way for you to come out of darkness and into light. If you are have never become a Christian, that path is open right now. You can tonight be born again in the waters of baptism. You can be baptized right now and start your brand new life. Maybe you've been a Christian for quite some time, but right now you're in a period of struggle or difficulty. And maybe you need prayers. Maybe you need some kind of help of a public nature and you want to come forward and talk to us about that, that's great. If there's something that the church can do for you publicly, why don't you come forward as we stand and as we sing?